Welcome to the Spawn Chunks, episode number 119 for Monday, December 14th, 2020. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixorifs. And joining me as always, is that the tinkle of sleigh bells? It's Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. <laughs> Many things uh, I do. Uh, tinkle like a sleigh is not, not one of them. Uh, <laughs> but if you want to hear the uh, Harley Davidson tinkle of a new pc that has arrived in the pixorifs studio zone uh, as well as some rgb lighting talk for just you know general household use you should listen to the render distance it's the pre-show conversation that johnny and i have every week and you can find that at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks awesome stuff it's it's so nice uh basking in the glow of new hardware and we're going to be talking a little bit more about that hardware and how it will be used a little bit later when we get into the news. But first of all, we should talk about what's going on in our Minecraft lives. So what have you been up to in Minecraft this week, Joel? I'm still in the medieval realm on the Citadel, uh, but I'm really enjoying it because I've skipped ahead to this town where I was working on the front gate. Uh, I'd done a couple of farms. I enjoyed that, but I was like, I don't really want to do a third farm because there's room for them. And I want to have several more farms kind of like out front of this town because that would make sense that that's where they would be. Uh, but what's nice about developing what is essentially an entire biome uh, is that I can bounce back and forth between different things. And so we finally put a back on the facade of the front gate. I was happy with the front gate, but then you kind of like, yeah, I'm happy with that. And you completely forget that you didn't do the back of it. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that you go inside and you're walking around in the town, you realize, oh, wait, right. I should probably turn this from a theme park <laughs> fake gate to an actual real one. Um, there's no interiors yet. And I don't know what I'm going to do for the insides. I do want there to be some functionality to them. Like there's a crow's nest on top of the tower. There's... Uh, uh, a rampart and there's a we did I did make a proper staircase to get up to the curtain wall which would make sense like that would be a function that would be there um, but then there's like a, a space to have like a munitions you know storage room or something like at the front and I've not put anything in these places yet and I don't know whether that's something that other server mates are going to help out with uh, I've just been focused on the outside stuff and um, I had someone in the chat ask me why I'm focusing on the curtain wall first, which is what I spent the rest of the weekend working on mostly. And uh, I'm using the terrain to inform where the wall would be, like mm -hmm. where it would make the most sense. Build the town on top of the high ground and have the wall kind of separate the high ground from the low ground. Yeah. And so any attackers, if there were attackers, uh, would, would be faced with a very large wall uh, because of the hill that they also have to deal with. And uh, as a result, it means that whatever I'm doing inside of this of this town is going to be, you know, hamstrung by this wall. I kind of like that challenge. It's the same way that I'm uh, approaching the Minecraft village that is actually part of this. This is the first time that I've ever gone into a Minecraft village and actually I'm planning on changing it. Like I'm keeping the village there and we're just going to tweak and say like, okay, I tore down this um, blacksmith place because it was in the wrong spot for what I want to do, but I'm going to try and put my blacksmith where the original Minecraft one was, or as close to it as I can manage. Uh-huh, yeah. And I think, so I'm going to try to use the pre-generated Minecraft village to inform where I'm doing stuff. Like, I'm going to build my own church. It's going to be about where the church is that the Minecraft, you know, village generated. And same with the town square that they have. They have, like, the tree with the crossroads and the bell. Yeah. And, and so I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to, I'm going to move it just a smidge, I think, so that it lines up with my gate. But other than that, like, I think it's a good spot to have the town square. 
And so I'm looking forward to that kind of a challenge. Uh, but that's basically what I've been doing. I've been doing a lot of city planning, a lot of roads, sculpting a river, uh, doing the curtain wall, which has a really nice curve. Actually, I'll put a couple of pics in our in our live chat. Yeah. And uh, it's it's really been it's been a fun experience because that kind of planning, you don't really build much, but you leave the session feeling like you've done a lot. Uh huh. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You, you've got you've got a lot of at least infrastructure out of the way and it, it really does feel like structure informs so much of the rest of the build and it's it's great that you're using the terrain obviously and i think minecraft is like occasionally the terrain is maligned a little bit a few people just aren't happy with the the way minecraft generates biomes but as a resource for allowing the terrain to shape something that you build if you're building something a bit more medieval looking that fits into a landscape like this it is vastly underrated i think um and and yeah people often ask when you're sharing builds of any kind whether it be streaming or or youtube videos like us or you know just sharing stuff on reddit or anywhere else you know forums message boards that kind of stuff people often ask where you get inspiration from and i think it is rare that people would answer minecraft itself but a lot of the time minecraft does provide inspiration this way and especially if you're looking at setting a town on or near a river that immediately brings in the idea of well a trade route could come through here or they could you know at least ship goods through the river or the river is their source of water and then you start to build the infrastructure around that it all really takes shape from there and there's really only one in the screenshots maybe two but there are three rivers that either intersect or come very close to this town and so i want it to be river themed like you said transport of goods even just the name of it is going to be I <clears throat> I brought up River Run from Game of Thrones on the stream. I don't mm -hmm. want to call it that, but that's the idea. Like yeah. that's like a river would run through it kind of idea. I want to have something similar to that in in the name. Uh and uh I I'm I'm like I said, I'm looking forward to it. It's it was fun to kind of something that I like about planning is that it's very from the cuff. Like nothing is precious. You're not fussing over what texture looks right or the shape of things. You're just kind of like the roads and the function have to come first for me because that's how I think about my Minecraft builds. I don't necessarily have a long written out lore of this world, although that might come eventually. But for this particular place, I just, I'm designing it from like a, well, this is the lowest part of the land. These are where the people would walk. No one would walk over the hill on purpose when you can go between them. Like, so this is where the road would go. And so I'm using that kind of information to figure, okay, main road, low ground, castle, high ground, you know, and then I'm trying to figure out where the other places are going to, are going to fit in. But, um, but yeah, I, this whole area has been informed, like you said, by the Minecraft landscape and not out of laziness, but sometimes it's like, well, I'd like to build this here, but that would involve removing this hill. I don't want to do that. <laughs> like I, I don't want to spend streams removing a grass hill that's in the way, you know? So I, I feel like some of my things are like, oh, I have this great idea for the medieval realm. It's like, well, let's go find a different place to put that so I don't have to like completely redo a biome, you know, in order to, to make it work. So, yeah. But we'll see. Uh, what I've been doing is more or less the opposite because I've been flattening out areas for the museum build in the survival guide and that's erasing the natural landscape as it is but because the build itself is going to be one continuous large structure it just made much more sense to do that and in the the real world many of the museums that I'm taking inspiration from will be you know on a hill of some kind because natural terrain is like that and they're older buildings and so there wasn't too much like earthworks going into their construction originally but 
uh, I, I thought for for the best sort of experience that would allow me to just get on with it instead of worrying over all of these little details, I tended to just flatten everything out. But I think afterwards I'm going to take the approach of terraforming things around it after the fact, and so some of the exterior walls aren't going to be you know, as high as others, or at least the ground is going to be raised up and pushed up against it uh, to kind of reflect the idea that there would be natural terrain outside of this. For now, I just need a blank canvas to work from, which kind of means turning my survival guide world, at least that area, into a bit of a super flat for a bit and dealing with all of the, the mobs that I've left underground. So working with the natural terrain can definitely be uh, an advantage for stuff like that. Um, speaking of the museum, I've been working more on the archive, which is the storage section that i have underneath the museum where i'm storing most of the i think the the relevant blocks and items that i'm going to be using to construct it and also to showcase in the museum itself i've got to the point now where i'm pretty short on extra blocks that still need to go in here i'm down to like all of the different color variants of wool and concrete concrete powder just went in I'm now working on a space to store redstone components and stained glass, and I think that is it, more or less. There's some stuff like glazed terracotta that I know I'm not going to be using stacks upon stacks of, and so I'm storing that just in individual... I'm be making drawers out of uh, storage minecarts, like chest minecarts and hopper minecarts, uh, just for individual like crafting stuff like that, or like buttons and pressure plates and things that I know I'm not going to craft like a full double chest of in service of this place and it's going really well so far it's a lot of work though and i actually had to add more storage filters to it this weekend which means there are now a lot of hoppers in there and a lot of active redstone so i don't know quite how laggy it's all going to be once it's finished but i'm really happy with the overall impression that it now gives because all of the blocks in minecraft are effectively laid out in here in rows so i can see which filter leads into what and it's getting to the stage where it is now pretty massive uh so that's been my my main project in the survival guide outside of that i've still been playing a little bit of skyblock and i've also been playing uh bits and pieces on the don't die december server which is the uh the hardcore server that i've been uh you know casually playing with for uh, the last month or so and that's um it's it's getting there. There's a few people who are already dead, unfortunately. So there's been a couple of close calls and a couple of, uh, yeah, a couple of deaths on the server. I think four or five people have now exited the server permanently. Um, and there is talk about maybe doing another season of it at some point in future, where there is a way to get those people back, either through some sort of like challenge that they could do themselves, or some sort of risky way that the server could band together and do something you know you know fight the dragon a bunch of times or fight everybody fights one wither all in the same fight or something like that and then that could resurrect somebody if we desperately wanted them to stay in uh in, in the server um but we raided a woodland mansion this week and i i feel like woodland mansions have largely been ignored now that you can get things like totems of undying and whatnot from raids um i feel like woodland mansions have sort of been superseded because there's nothing really unique about them anymore aside from maybe you know vindicators that you don't have to name tag so they don't despawn but that's really the only unique thing uh so we decided to go out and find a woodland mansion just because it was something a little bit different to do and i wanted to to get myself a couple of totems that way instead of risking a raid on hard and uh it ended up being about eleven thousand blocks away and we crashed the server once flying to it <laughs> um 
so that was wow. a bit of fun but uh yeah there were, there were three or i think four of us uh one joined a little bit later but we all went out ten thousand blocks uh using one of the cartographer woodland mansion uh maps that we bought and uh yeah we ended up raiding a woodland mansion quite successfully almost died twice to creepers dropping on me from the uh the shelves around some of those rooms but it was a oh, good time man. it's been a long time uh since i've raided a woodland mansion i think i only did it the once it was one of the other few server uh collabs we did it. i don't think we did it live i think we just kind of all got together similar to the first dragon fight the first dragon fight we streamed but the uh the the woodland mansion i'm pretty sure it was myself and matt cast and alistair and we just did it and it was fun i mean it was it yeah was a, it, not something i need to do more than once but yes uh, it was something matt cast was really intrigued by the rarity of them and the fact that there was one relatively close you know woodland mansion speaking uh, and he had done the work to go and dig another tunnel to it to locate it so yeah um bruno the the guy who sort of showed up to the 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 mansion a little bit later i don't think had ever seen one in the game before <laughs> because mm. he's been playing since i think like only a, a year or two ago so it was really quite funny seeing people who are unfamiliar with them when i'd been you know messing around with them since they were introduced but it's uh it's really you don't need to go there because there's nothing there really like even a bunch of those rooms that spawn with a bunch of chests in there's no loot really to speak of there's a couple of places you can you have a very very small chance of getting an enchanted golden apple so that might be one reason to go looking for them but to me i think the real treasure from them at this point is the amount of bookshelves that are in there because it's like finding a stronghold where you tear apart the library and then you've got books to enchant for days and if you want to make your own bookshelves with them later then you can or you silk touch all of them and you can bring them home and it makes getting hold of stuff like that in bulk so much nicer <laughs> when you can just tear it all out of an existing structure instead of farming leather and paper for days so oh, yeah that's that's what we treated it as as soon as we were done taking out the evokers i got a couple of totems of undying and then we just tore the whole place apart for the bookshelves and then left again <laughs> and then we flew ten thousand blocks home but yeah it was it was a, a fun time and really nice to do something like that with friends as well it's good to nice. uh, to get a little bit of multiplayer in and do a shared activity that you know isn't going to take like potentially four hours like a group build or something so uh, let's move into the news, because we have a little bit of news this week. Uh, it's not the usual type of thing, though, because there is no Java Edition snapshot this week. Uh, we've got a link in the show notes from Sliced Lime on Twitter saying that there might be a snapshot next week, which is this week at the time of the show. Uh, but the developers are taking time to game jam between now and the holidays. And this isn't necessarily going to be a Minecraft-related thing. He was unclear about the details, but uh, for those who don't know, a game jam... It's typically uh, an event or a contest where developers independently or in teams try to code a game from scratch in a short amount of time. And his tweet suggests that this is a way that they could potentially think outside the box when it comes to future ideas to be incorporated into Minecraft. But we can presume, and we've put a link in the uh, the show notes as well to the Wikipedia article about game jams if anybody is curious, they might just end up coding you know, their own games, their own projects in Java or whatever the languages they tend to program in and just see what yeah, ideas from those can maybe feed back into the Minecraft development process in the future. So cool to know a little bit about what the Mojang team is up to. Uh, means we don't get a snapshot this week, but of course, you know, the snapshots are going to be a little bit fewer and further between over the holidays anyway. And of course, we are all looking forward to the Caves and Cliffs update developing further in the new year. 
Uh, outside of that, we have Minecraft Bedrock Edition 116.200 got released. Uh, link to the feedback.minecraft.net article with the changelog in the show notes as well. The main changes here, though, are Render Dragon, the new graphics engine for Minecraft Bedrock platforms, is now available on Windows 10. This brings the full release of Ray Tracing, commonly known as RTX, to Minecraft Bedrock Edition, and Minecraft with Ray Tracing on Windows 10 has now officially launched as of Tuesday, December 8th. The render engine also allows for OpenXR to support Windows MR and Oculus VR. And I think MR is mixed reality or something like that. I guess more like HoloLens kind of stuff. And Oculus VR obviously being virtual reality. Uh, this release also adds a variety of volume sliders for sound categories. For example, hostile mobs, blocks, weather, the kind of stuff that we'll be used to from Java Edition. And these also play a preview of the relevant sounds in the main settings menu and the default click sound when in-game, so you can kind of get an idea of what you're fine-tuning. Uh, this release also brings a bunch of parity changes and bug fixes. The list in full is linked at the um, feedback.minecraft.net changelog uh, elsewhere in our show notes. And uh, there's also a <laughs> Hitchhiker's Guide to Minecraft with Ray Tracing on Windows 10 uh, article on minecraft.net. I would imagine, because you have been talking about uh, individual volume sliders in Bedrock Edition since I've known you, I think. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is a satisfying change where, like, it's important, it's awesome, it's great, but I think there's a number of people out there that are kind of going, like, it's about time. Yes, <laughs> no, absolutely. I, I'm, I'm one of those people, although, yes, I'm obviously really happy that it's happened now because, yeah, having sound effects and music as the only two sliders really doesn't allow you to balance the game audio. And the game audio on Bedrock Edition i have found was really unbalanced um and i think that's just you know setting one volume for the difference between like bat squeaking sounds and the ender dragon roaring you're always gonna have like a, a sliding scale of how loud something is supposed to be but i've definitely had bedrock edition dragon fights where the dragon's uh roar will actually distort on the recording because of how loud it is and it doesn't mm -hmm. distort in my headphones at the time, but for whatever reason, the recording software picks it up really hot. So yeah, it's it's really nice to have individual volume sliders for that stuff and definitely helps to bridge the gap a little and, and remove one of those features that I think really could have been like fairly straightforward to implement in Bedrock Edition. Again, not knowing much about how they're coded, but uh, hoping that that's going to be a useful thing for a lot of people. And, and if nothing else, for accessibility, just the ability to fine-tune anything audio-wise is very helpful to people. You know, I I've been experiencing this uh, in a different game, but it, it it the lack of control in that game, even compared to Java Minecraft, was um, surprising. In that uh, I have these new Arctis Nine X headphones, which I unfortunately have to return, but uh, it's not for their performance. They they sound great. Believe me, after going back to earbuds, I'm just like, oh, mm -hmm. I'm sad. I have to return these. <laughs> yeah. Uh, however, uh, I spend a fair amount of time playing No Man's Sky, and that has a lot of like constant um space drone kind of like ambient hum going on and it would be really nice to turn some of that down compared to things that you want to make noises like your um it's called a multi-tool but like your ray gun you know like your jetpack you want to have those kind of be cool and loud when you want them to be uh but i don't necessarily need the hum of a spaceship to kind of give me a headache yeah and mm -hmm. it would be nice but they don't they have a sound effect slider and they have a music slider and you're just like really there's there, there should be a little bit more ambient versus personal effect versus you know inside your spaceship versus not that kind of thing yeah um, i th i think sound like in in survival games especially like 
the audio mix is not necessarily something you can predict each person's reaction to. And I, I've definitely played games recently where having just a sound effect, a music, and a voice slider uh, for a game like Hades, for example, is is enough because they've managed to balance the audio in that game really well and right. there aren't really any sound effects that i think stand out as being particularly grating and you know part of that is obviously credit to the sound designers themselves but then when they've implemented it in game you don't need to roll back the you know sounds for a specific like you know effort sounds from the character or you know what it sounds like when you hit somebody with a specific ability because it's all it's all mixed pretty well to begin with but then that same attention to detail can't always apply to survival games when you're supposed to be in tune with the environment around you and the environment around you is often doing very subtle things but not everybody has the you know the bandwidth of hearing or the the you know the concentration or even you know the, obviously with hearing impaired people you need to have some way of allowing them to turn that stuff up so they can hear stuff if it means the difference between them surviving or dying yeah you know like turning up mob noises and and you know being able to hear hostile mobs over block noises i think is important yes um, i i've died for the opposite reason of turning off the mob noises because i was at a gold farm and then forgetting to turn them back on mm -hmm. <laughs> and then a creeper comes up you're like normally i can hear those footsteps but oh wait i turned the slider all the way down <laughs> that's yes. my fault um yeah. bringing it back to to minecraft control though um i'll remind people that uh resource packs are not just for textures you can actually control some of the sounds uh, with resource packs and in particular for minecraft creators i think vanilla tweaks has like a quieter portal yes um, one mm -hmm. and quieter ghasts and there's one other one that's a quieter thing i don't remember which it is but uh maybe the uh, for me the one that i need to get off my butt and tweak and make quieter is the portal breaking sound it always oh, yeah. sends shivers down my spine because it's loud and shrill and uh it always gets me when i do it on stream uh people yeah. make fun of me but but yeah like you can control some of that stuff individually like right down to the actual mob noises uh if if something is too loud for you um in particular yes yeah uh let's go back to minecraft rtx finally being like oh, a full let's. release as well because uh as as we kind of mentioned earlier and what we were talking about for a lot of the pre-show uh, i now have a a custom built 3xs system from scan thanks to the folks at nvidia who provided that for me this podcast is not sponsored by them by the way but i still feel like i have to thank them at every opportunity um but yeah rtx uh, is now in mainstream bedrock edition minecraft for windows 10 and of course, with the new generation of consoles coming out, a lot of people are curious about whether it's going to be compatible with those. For now, as far as we are aware, it is not. But there may be, uh, you know, Windows open at that point to them in, in future. Um, in the meantime, though, anybody who's got Windows 10 and an RTX capable graphics card, so the RTX 20 series and upwards, is going to be able to mess around with this on Bedrock Edition. Uh, with obvious, like, there are sliders there's a sliding scale really of, of performance and i'd encourage anybody with a 20 series graphics card to take it with maybe a grain of salt maybe um you know don't put your render distance up to 32 chunks and expect it to perform super well uh but it's it's definitely a fun experience and now that it's out of beta you don't have to worry too much about switching between that and the experimental features betas that are going to be rolling out for the caves and cliffs update which is one of the reasons I didn't even look at goats and powder snow when they were added because they got added in bedrock edition first and my bedrock edition on windows was still set to the beta and for, for RTX and I didn't want to go through the hassle of switching back and forth between the two because often it means completely reinstalling Minecraft. Um, 
So it's great that that's now a, a full-fledged feature. And I think the OpenXR support for, for mixed reality and virtual reality also sounds really cool. Uh, so maybe we'll see more people widely adopting that as a means to play. And I think we have a an email that's a little bit related to that later. Um, but yeah, I, I'm looking forward to diving back into Minecraft RTX. Um, I've got a couple more videos left in my sponsored series, but I think the series might end up continuing beyond that, whether or not NVIDIA supports that or not. But I, I really like messing around with the capabilities of something like that in uh in a, in a brand new minecraft world that i don't have as much stake in as i do the survival guide but i still want to find out what it's like building with rtx lighting in a survival context because i think so many people play the survival game and are going to want to see how that affects their builds either way it's going to be like being able to turn on and off shaders in a world just to take fancy screenshots of your builds so i think a lot of people are still going to have a lot of fun messing around with it even if they just turn it on for a second or two before switching it back off to play with a smoother experience and if it comes down to something like just um walking around like just even if you can't play the survival game um if you can deal with you know a slower performance of just walking around a build that you've made and not necessarily just for screenshots but just to walk around it and enjoy it uh that would be that would be really cool i i mean i don't have a ray tracing capable pc i'm not really a bedrock player either but uh i am curious about some of the tools uh that are available for java edition players to then uh export their world and then import it into bedrock and then flip on the rtx stuff yes. uh, uh we'll have a link to a website uh there is an application download proceed with caution i'm not familiar with this because i don't use it but i did search and found the universal minecraft converter which seems like a pretty straightforward way to grab your java worlds and turn them into something that can be loaded into windows 10 uh for bedrock for ray tracing uh I don't, I mean, I doubt that a lot of the redstone stuff would function. Like I, I imagine there's going to be some differences there, but if yes. you're just doing it to look around, like you just want to see what your museum or your castle or, you know, uh, your, your harbor full of ships, you know, looks like at sunset, like that kind of stuff, that would be really cool. Especially for like when you and I follow, you know, big creator servers, like, you know, Hermitcraft or legacy, like after a season of that is all done, it would be really cool to offer that download and then have people go check it out in ray tracing. I think that would be really, really fun. Yes. Uh, we've also linked a couple of other things in the show notes for folks who are interested in this. NVIDIA themselves have published a guide on their website with help from a few Minecraft creators. Uh, for, there's a guide to just getting RTX PBR, which I think is path-based ray tracing, textures into any other minecraft world so not just the ones that you can download from the uh, minecraft marketplace that come preloaded with those resource packs but there is a, a link to the foundational resource pack which i think is the basic minecraft textures with the data they need the extra like alpha channels and stuff that they need for for ray tracing to have any effect and then there's a decorative resource pack that i think is the hd textures you saw in some maps like pearlescent moons light and color showcase from the minecraft marketplace um there is also a world conversion guide for anybody who is interested in converting their java worlds which doesn't mention the universal minecraft converter that you mentioned so maybe there's there's different tools out there i know amulet editor is another one um but there are required tools and files on this this link um obviously being minecraft bedrock rtx uh 
you know a java version on the pc as well and the latest version of java and then underneath that it goes into things like mcc tool chest which is what i've used to convert the survival guide world from java into bedrock edition in the past and then mca selector world edit for forge the kind of stuff that you'll want to maybe mess around with if you want to trim down your world a little bit or just style things a little differently and yeah, it's it's useful to have resources like that available to people because this is not the most user-friendly process right now, and I don't know if they are planning on making it more user-friendly because there's a fairly slim amount of cases where I think people will actually want to do this, but it is possible to convert a Java world to Bedrock and then get it looked at in the, the RTX lighting engine. So there's, there's definitely options out there for people, and who knows, I might try and do this with the survival guide world at some point. I don't know quite how that's going to pan out, but maybe I'll do a, an episode where I tour the RTX version of the survival guide world and see how that works. What's really interesting about this NVIDIA tutorial is that it shows you how to create um, like depth in the textures. It shows you, even yeah. it goes into Photoshop and shows you the breakdown of like, you know, here's what will be, uh, you know, higher as far as your relief is concerned. And here's what would be deeper, you know, in terms of uh, the alpha channels and, and how to layer that kind of stuff and how to apply it to different things. And uh, they, they're using uh, ores from Minecraft as a texture, as an example of how to get like the ores to look like they're kind of sticking out of the rock or, or being, you know, stuck in the rock, that kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, very, very cool. Very, very cool stuff. Uh, again, a lot of work. People thought that custom texture packs were work before. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> there's like a, a whole boy, extra. Oh there's an extra dimension that you've got to think about now, and, and yeah, playing around with light and stuff. But some of the examples they give in this are really cool at giving you like a a play by play idea of how you get that stuff to work. And yeah, mm -hmm. it is probably not something I'll tinker with too much myself. I'll leave that to the professionals. But nice to know that they've actually published a guide so that anyone who is curious about making their own uh, PBR texture pack can give it a try. I think Razzleberries as a team has done one already. It'll be exciting to see who else hops on board. Well, moving on into chunk mail, if you'd like to email the show, the address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Our first email comes from White Bush, a landscape artist member of our Discord, and the subject is Mojang's contradictory warden philosophy. Hi, Pix and Joel. First, a quick note on Minecraft in VR. I have a Rift S. The first time I loaded up on Minecraft on it, uh, my world took a completely new feel. Uh, to be able to experience your own world in VR makes all of your work feel like a true accomplishment and actually more valuable, quote unquote, more worth the time you put into it. Pix, I highly recommend waiting until you finish the museum to try it. Virtually walking through it will blow your mind. For normal play, I still prefer to not use VR as regular play is easier on your eyes, your head, and others around you during the long play sessions. I also wanted to get your thoughts on a comment made during a recent Ask Mojang video. When talking about the warden, the question was asked if there would be some way of players to silence their steps, whether their gear or potion or something similar. Agnes responded that they didn't want to add a mechanic into the game that would cancel another gameplay mechanic that they added previously. It makes sense on the surface, but after thinking more about it, Minecraft is already filled uh, with play, uh, gameplay mechanics that have something else that cancels out uh, or extremely limits another original mechanic. Fire protection potions cancel fire issues. Slow falling potions turn shulkers into minor annoyances. Carved pumpkins and endermen milk and the wither effect. Dogs scare skeletons. Cats scare creepers. Gold armor and piglins and the list goes on. So the question is, 
especially in view of how hard it is expected to be, do you think there should be some way of quote unquote getting around the warden, i.e. gear, potions, enchantment, and the like? Uh, is for the most part other things in Minecraft or should it sound, uh, sorry, or should its sound sensing mechanics be one of the few standouts? Keep up the great podcast. I'll keep the camels coming. Whitebush. For those of you <laughs> wondering what they mean, you'll have to join the Discord to find out. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There, there are a lot of camels on a Monday for some reason. Anyway. Um, yeah. It's it's an interesting one. For, first of all, I'll, I'll address the, the comments about Minecraft and VR. And this really backs up what uh, Xylefian said in, in his email to us about uh, looking at Minecraft in VR and just being like that person on the ground and as though the structures around you are real structures that sense of perspective is something that i'm interested in exploring in future but it's just like justifying the cost of getting a vr headset just to do that right now is is a little bit a little bit steep for me um it's the kind of thing that i've been trying to emulate a little bit by trying to make occasional 360 videos from uh from the minecraft survival guide world and allowing players to look around those with you know, a mobile device even, just like as a window into that world that they can point in any direction and the uh, the gyroscope inside of it will detect which way up it is and you can sort of look around. And I, I'm planning on doing a better quality one of those in future because I did that for my episode 300 world tour and the quality wasn't as high as I hoped because I ended up, you know, messing with the resolution a little bit too much. So I think uh, I'm going to give that another go, probably for episode 360, because <laughs> it seems thematically appropriate. <laughs> and nice. uh, I might try and do a 360 view tour of like walking around the early rooms in the museum, because I won't have too much more of it built by then. Um, but yeah, I, I can totally see how how playing in VR makes your accomplishments feel a little bit more concrete. Um, so so yeah, might might give it a try if I have the opportunity to in future. Um, as for the warden, though, this is an interesting point, and I like the the examples you're drawing here in that there are obviously things in Minecraft that are meant to be incredibly damaging, like lava, for example, that is more or less nullified if you are prepared enough and you have fire resistance potions. So, you know, with the warden being such a, such a threat, it being, you know, a able to probably two shot a player even if you're wearing like unenchanted netherite armor um it potentially needs some other way of getting around it but um i think we need to start by talking about what exactly makes the warden aggressive because in the brief footage we've seen of it it only like walks towards the sound it doesn't immediately assume the sound is a threat um, and in the video we saw at Minecon, it, uh, Minecraft Live, sorry, it, it only starts attacking the player when the player attacks first. So I'm wondering if the Warden attacks based on proximity, like a creeper setting its fuse to explode, uh, in that it'll only start attacking you if it senses that you are right there. Um, oh, and, yeah. So I think there's going to be more strategy in distracting the Warden away from areas you plan to explore. Um, so in in the video, for example, they showed throwing snowballs to kind of get it to, to walk away from you. And for example, if a warden senses you, it's not going to immediately go, aha, a player to attack. It's going to lumber over and see what's over there before it decides, hey, you need to be dealt with. So I think in the meantime, you have time to react. And I think there are already so many ways of getting around the warden in that sense. If it's going to be distracted by sounds and it's going to be able to detect the range of sounds that say skulk sensors do i don't think we're necessarily going to need quiet shoes in order to do that i think there are going to be many other ways of doing that and that might even 
add to the gameplay and make it more fun to get around the warden instead of just having a set it and forget it solution like i wouldn't expect there to like the the, the mojang team to really have that as their first choice of just like oh you wear boots and then you know not everything's fine <laughs> i don't i don't necessarily see that being the solution it's a solution that they implemented in another one of white bush's examples for piglins it, as long as you're wearing gold they don't attack you but then they kind of reintroduced the balance of it by adding piglin brutes who attack you no matter what and are the hardest hitting piglins of all of them so i think right. there is a balance to be struck there and just having you wear leather shoes to tiptoe around the warden is balancing it too far in the other way i think i think one of the other examples that um whitebush pointed out the um fire resistance potions and lava there's a time limit on those exactly like they yeah. run out so if you get cornered and you had some potion of sneakiness you know that made you able to run around without having to sneak and not make any noise and therefore be undetected uh if that eventually runs out you run out of potions, you didn't bring enough with you, whatever, then you're stuck dealing with the warden again. Uh, I like your idea of of the warden not attacking unless it's within a certain range. So you have to sneak if the warden is right there. But if they're far enough away and you can walk on your own speed, then you have some time before they catch up with you, depending on how fast the warden is. I don't remember how quickly it moved in the, it, in the it, video that they showed. It started to move pretty quickly when a player was attacking it like and it right. sort of lurches forward with surprising speed but i think right. it, it is it is still like it's a little bit slower when it's just going towards the source of a sound that it heard and for example when the player in that throws a snowball it doesn't then like stop and then take a a, a swing as if something would be there it just kind of goes towards where the sound was so i assume if it gets within a couple of blocks of a player like you know it'll kind of sense your presence in a way so that's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how they implement that. Um, I would also add that you're going to be breaking blocks, presumably opening containers. There were like barrels to loot in the example diorama they had set up for the warden. And there are also stone blocks there that look quite interesting to work with. So um, leather boots are only going to take you so far. You're going to be making other sounds. And I think the only thing that actually affects is going to be your movement speed because as we've seen with skulk sensors sneaking doesn't produce the vibrations that skulk sensors pick up and i i don't know for certain yet because it hasn't been implemented in any of the snapshots but we can presume logically that the warden is going to be affected by the same things skulk sensors are so you know the, the mechanic is going to apply and it's just a simple matter of applying the same mechanic to a mob instead of a block um and that's we where i think the leather boots become problematic because if you want to stick to this theme that whatever is going to be working for the warden is going to also work for skulk sensors, while it would be nice to be able to walk around and build your crazy redstone skulk sensor with a pair of leather boots and not set anything off while you're working, uh, in terms of all the traps and the multiplayer things that people are looking to do with the skulk sensors, does that just mean the new uniform for the Minecraft player is gold helmet, elytra, pants of your choice, and leather boots? Because yeah. as much as I don't like blue diamond armor, that's also a no from, from hobo hobo joel with all the different colors of of um uh of armor i already kind of just oh right i have to wear a gold helmet when i go to the nether like it just it's i find the fact that it's cool that you uh it's a cool mechanic i just find that what it forces the player to do is not great like yeah. i i feel like there should be um 
if you really want to RP this kind of stuff, I feel like there should be like, you know, gold infused helmet, you know, like you'd have to go in there with a piece of gold in the helmet or it's a more expensive helmet to use, something like that. Um, yeah. So having something to do with your boots, have it not replace your um, netherite boots because that's what I wear because they're the most durable thing and I'm jumping off of stuff all the time and I need something that's not going to break, every, you know, every half an hour. Um, I feel like, you know, having some sort of like time limit enchantment splash potion, I'm not sure what they're going to do, but I hope there's something. Because uh, if if it works the same way that the nether works in terms of your angering pigment or piglins, um, I find it very irritating that you, even with a gold helmet, you can't open a chest yeah. of your own device, you know, your own chests uh, with piglins around. I'm hoping that there's some things that you can do within range of the warden that won't irritate it. Like there has to be, like, I can understand maybe opening a chest or or I can un certainly understand any kind of skulk harvesting, any kind of mining of the skulk stuff I would imagine would be a bad thing to do and mm -hmm. the warden would get very mad but mining a you know a wall next to it i don't know like i'm not sure how i feel about every last little thing you know irritating the warden but again that's that's the a balancing that they're probably still toying with yeah in in the skulk sensor snapshot that we covered last week with logical geek boy there was uh, a section where it mentions some things you can do while sneaking that then do not trigger the skulk sensor. So, for example, throwing a projectile, if you are standing normally, makes a noise. The actual act of throwing a snowball or shooting a bow makes a noise regardless of where the, uh, the projectile lands. So, presumably, the warden would notice that before it notices where the snowball ends up. Whereas, if you are sneaking throwing a snowball might you know create a sound where the snowball lands but it doesn't create a sound when you throw it and i don't know if the same is true of a bow but either way like there are ways around it already because if you are performing a certain action like sneaking while you do something else that's going to cause sound sometimes it doesn't so it's about learning the sets of actions you can take and luring the warden away so that you can loot the chests or whatever. Um, I also want to know if the warden's hearing is going to be affected by wool blocks in the same way that the skulk sensors are occluded by wool blocks, because I would presume so if the mechanic is the same, in which case, if you want to open those chests that you're finding in the deep dark, or if you want to mine some blocks, it may be the case that you bring a couple of stacks of wool, you cordon off that area so that mm. the sound cannot escape and alert the warden, and then you bring some shears with you to take it all down when you're done. And I think suddenly you're you're converting large sections of the deep dark to wool so that they are safe to mine. <laughs> but I think that might potentially be a solution that players haven't thought of yet because they're too concerned about the warden being a separate entity. And I think the warden and the skulk sensors are going to have a loss in common when it comes to the mechanics they use here. Yeah, I would agree. Right, uh, let's move on to the second email, uh, which is from Phantom, and the subject is New Dogs for 1.17. Hi, Joel and Johnny. I love the show, and I thought a potential Minecraft update feature. Can't wait to uh, hear your input. After 1.14, cats have gotten all the love. I think it's only fair that our canine companions get more representation in this wonderful game. I suggest that dogs have varying skins and breeds, and they could also have more functionality, too. Different dog breeds could spawn in different villages depending on the villagers and the location of the village. So if your villagers are in a snowy or tiger biome, the dog could be a wolf or a husky breed, but if it's in a plains biome, the dog breed could be more like a golden retriever or a beagle. 
Uh, cats can collect mob drops like gunpowder or rabbit hide when you sleep. Dogs could have a different function depending on the biome they're in. A golden retriever could be running around playing in a flower forest, a husky could be searching for food, and a Jack Russell could be hunting for foxes in a tiger biome. This could help players in the early game to do functions like get hold of food, fight mobs, and help players find biomes. How would the dogs get along with the other mobs? I think that dogs should be more playful than cats, and with passive mobs they could play and try to have fun with those mobs like polar bears, and they could get food from animals like fishes or foxes. Of course they should be able to help out in battle, and one of the ways they could do that is give you a beacon-like power, could give you a low strength effect or maybe speed. Can't wait to see if Mojang decides to implement a dog refresh. Have a good chunk. Thanks, Phantom, for the email. And I think we've covered... I mean, we, we get a, a, an email every so often from somebody who says, I think dogs should be better represented. And, you know, I I, I, I see the point. Um, and I we've even talked before about the idea of having different dog breeds spawning in different biomes. So we're along the same lines here. I think the thing that this email really brings to the table is the idea of mechanical expansion of dogs rather than just a cosmetic change. They're actually doing stuff for the players and almost like the tr the player is training them for different purposes right so you've got um you know potentially you know husky searching for food for you um and and fishing and that kind of stuff and there being slightly different mechanics associated with each breed makes them a desirable thing to go out and find um, I'm not entirely certain about the the beacon powers, them giving you speed, because I feel like wolves already give people a certain amount of advantage in combat anyway. And the problem with having dog breeds, which I know people get very attached to, the problem with including them in combat is then eventually those dogs end up getting killed in combat, which I think would make it even more sad if they weren't just tamed wolves to us. So there's, right. there's an emotional toll to be felt there. Um, but yeah, I, I think... Sooner or later, I think it's fairly inevitable that dogs are going to get an update. What do you think, Joel? So, I like the idea of different dog breeds. I, th for whatever reason, I think the Caves and Cliffs update just has that. It has that potential to be like the dog thing has that potential to be just one more thing. I think it's because when I think about mountains, I think about like Bernese mountain dogs and yes, like absolutely Saint, Saint Bernards, like that. So there's a potential there for like this new biome or these new snowy peaks. To have you know like uh, a village in them or snowy villages like like um, uh, Phantom mentioned to have like a, a specific kind of dog like a thematic kind of uh, dog and forgive me I think there's more biomes than there is villager types right yes so, definitely um, but I would imagine that there's probably what eight breeds of cat maybe nine um, I think in, so in total there are eleven cats there's an achievement oh, really? for getting all of them I think. Oh, wow. Um, so yeah, I, I can't remember exactly what each of them is, but I'm fairly certain there's, there's more than 10. So, right. so yeah, we'd, we'd definitely be getting, you know, if they did decide to, to do, uh, to address dogs, they'd probably go with a number of different breeds. If not different models, they would probably at least change the color on a couple of things, you know, like a, mm -hmm. a golden retriever model might also be a black lab sort of idea. If you had a different color, that kind of thing. And, yeah. um, I know, I know players that RP with pets and cats and stuff would probably really enjoy it. I know I would like to have, you know, a different you know dog than just a white dog sitting out in front of you know whatever build i'm doing if i was doing something like that um i functionality wise i don't know that they're going to add a whole lot i know that you know with cats scaring creepers and dogs going after skeletons it's a very specific thing it makes sense it's the one you know one cool thing they do it's like foxes going after chickens yeah um i do like the idea though of cats bringing bringing you random stuff 
and being able to train a dog to bring you specific things. So I'm yeah. thinking like if you have a you know chicken in your hand, so not cooked chicken, but raw chicken in your hand, and you throw it like three times for the dog, then that dog is now trained and will only bring you chicken or <laughs> rotten flesh or bones. Like, like it will actively like a, go after the skeletons. You like know? a fetch sort of mechanic. Yeah. Right? But it, it, yeah. Tra- it trains them. I think training the dogs is quite an interesting concept and, and not something that we've really seen much of in Minecraft before because you can't really teach the AI to do anything in, in any other aspect of Minecraft. Whereas having the ability to train dogs certainly gives you a better connection to them and mimics more accurately what humans have trained dogs to do over time right so yeah. that that's a that's a pretty solid idea having the dog return to you with an item several times and then it could almost act like a, an organic sorting system in a way like if you could get the drug dog to drop it in certain places then it's collecting mob drops from a farm for you and putting it in a hopper a few blocks away that's yeah. that's that's a really interesting idea yeah, well, I think that's how fox-powered berry farms work, right? They, they foxes end up harvesting the berries. Yeah, and and they end up they only end up eating a couple of them, and typically the berries will just drop on the ground if the collection mechanism is fast enough. Then a minecart yeah. will just pick it up or something. So it effectively works the same way, but with natural fox behavior as opposed to something the player has decided that they should do. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm going to give a shout out to uh, Crimson Kaiju. Um, they had written in with a similar dog related email and fetch was one of the things that they had suggested in theirs, which got my, my mind kind of going on that. I think it'd be really fun to watch a dog play fetch with a panda and a snot ball. I think that would be <laughs> <laughs> I think very Minecraft, I think. Yeah, um, just like to, sneeze, uh, sneezing panda, like, let me pick up your boogies. <laughs> Uh, to move on into the main discussion, actually, uh, speaking of things that we'd like to see in uh, the future, uh, thanks for the emails from Crimson Kaiju, Ryan R, Galaxy Five Twelve, and uh, I want to say it's Jabik ZF. Uh, they all inspired the question. Now that we've had a taste of what the Caves and Cliffs updates will include, what sort of yet unannounced features would we want to see in the Caves and Cliffs update? And so. Every, those people wrote in with very similar emails. I wanted to kind of give them all a, a quick nod for inspiring this this uh, discussion this week. And uh, I, let's start with you, Johnny. Like what we've we've got a, a number of things that we've. I think I'm starting to get a feel for for the caves and cliffs update. Like where do you think they might be headed though? Yeah, um, they've definitely hinted at more cave biomes coming besides lush caves and dripstone caves. And we saw the same kind of thing with the nether update initially where they didn't announce basalt delta until much later. So I think we might get maybe one or two more cave biomes. I'd be happy with just one personally because I think just the cave variation is going to provide so much in itself. Um, But I would like there to be a kind of stratified cave showing a bit more natural geology. They've talked about uh, uh, copper spawning in veins to allow for, uh, you know, more strategic mining. And so I'm thinking of a cave formation that would probably look better in something like a ravine or a taller cave where there are more discrete layers of blocks like you would find in a Badlands Mesa biome. Um, And that's typically how the way sedimentary rock works, right? Where over time it's just been layered upon by sand and and bone and all of the sort of stuff that collects in sedimentary areas and then it gets compacted down further and further and you end up with some quite obviously layered rock. Um, And so this could allow for not going too deep into new blocks here, but just working with the examples we already have from existing Minecraft. uh, You could get 
strata of andesite and diorite and granite maybe a layer of tuff or something there so it isn't just exclusive to geodes um, and it would allow you to get easier collection of decorative stone types which in my experience are kind of tedious to actually go out and find i end up acquiring stuff like andesite passively over time but then if i actually want to find it and i don't have any of it left i find actually going out and acquiring andesite is kind of difficult because you're 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 then trying to avoid stone which the majority of the world is made of and so it's kind of difficult just to spot the veins of andesite that you want to break down and acquire like a a full chest of it for example um crimson kaiju's email actually brought up the idea of a light purple variant of quartz i, I think based on like sue quartzite um that had like was gonna potentially be like a a blend between stuff like sandstone and then purple or amethyst, right? And I feel like that that purple set of colors is kind of difficult to break into for builds, and so as gradients go, it might be a nice way of blending between the two. And so I'm wondering if more blocks like that could be introduced in more stratified cave biomes. Uh, you could introduce stuff like limestone or chalk that way as well, and, you know, potentially chalk could be an even lighter color variant than terracotta because of course you're used to classroom chalk that has a few different colors infused in it but in a very light pastel sort of color so you'd end up with maybe something that you could dye different colors came naturally in a white color but then gave us a 16 color range the way terracotta does but a much lighter um yeah those are I've a few heard, ideas I, I know that i know that some people are looking for like pastel blocks you know like they yeah. want to have those like those easter type colors yeah, uh, and something soft that doesn't—it's not reflective, like it's not, you know, highly textured. You know, just kind of has that muted texture, but works as kind of like would work for all kinds of different things, really. Mm -hmm. um, Cosmic in our chat is suggesting a uh, ice cave would be awesome, and I, yeah, that would be cool if they added this, like, you know, like basalt deltas. Uh, an ice cave would be like really the polar opposite. Pardon the double pun, but like it's just you—you <laughs> you would end up with. You know these really crazy looking uh ice caves under either under specifically like say like ice spike biomes or maybe just anywhere um because that would then grant access to blocks in perhaps smaller amounts but like not having to find a specific ice spikes biome to get packed ice and blue ice and things like that if you can get them in an ice cave and maybe there's dangers and you know all the same things well you mean we you mentioned um before about having um layers of sedimentary rock i mean and and dealing with um crossing these caves over like if a, if a slippery ice cave intersects with a pretty dangerous um what are they called dripstone cave mm -hmm. then like that could be that could be not a fun experience you know to <laughs> to to go in there and slip and slide and realize you're off the edge and dead you know like that could be yeah uh, fun I, I, I say fun of, in quotation marks. Yes, yeah. Uh, thinking of the ice cave idea, I'm sort of wondering if there is potential for more of the cave biomes, if they are going to add a few more variations of cave biomes to be tied to specific biomes. And once again, in our live chat, um, a purple goose has said a glow shroom cave under mushroom islands would be kind of cool. And Ooh. so I'm thinking unique surface biomes having unique cave biomes underneath would give more you know incentive to go and seek out those biomes to begin with if they are otherwise kind of neglected like having a a unique cave biome structure underneath a mega tiger or having more lush caves spawning under jungles without the need to signpost them with azalea trees i'm wondering you know obviously uh, surface generation is so varied that 
you know, it, it might create kind of a, a confusing jigsaw of the underground, but I think tying them in together might be a little bit a little bit more intuitive to players if they if they go underneath a, a hot biome like a jungle and then underneath in the caves they find you know something like dripstone caves that don't feel like they would have formed underneath the jungle when there's all this lush flora around i don't know maybe that that's slightly immersion breaking or maybe they can bring in some sort of um yeah some sort of system that ties a few of the cave variants to the surface biomes and they also have those uh azalea trees that are marking the lush caves on yeah. the surface mm -hmm. so i don't know if that opens up the floodgates for like every cave is gonna have you know a marker on the surface i don't get the impression that geodes are gonna have any kind of surface marker you know what no. i mean so so yeah I, I wonder if they could do without having to do a very specific thing like the azalea tree i think biomes might be a cool way to do that i know that we were speculating back when we were talking about the height mapping and, and the generation of things that mountains might actually indicate a cave because it would be more room to do so you mm -hmm. know like that that would be kind of cool yeah. i like the idea we were, i was talking about you know how dangerous the ice cave would be i mean even though we already kind of have it in the the basalt delta a lava cave would be neat to look at i don't know mm -hmm. if i have much time i'd want to actually spend there but like <laughs> if it was a cave that was just lots of lava flows coming out of the walls and uh, obsidian everywhere and like that could be neat but again I, I think they've kind of already done that with the basalt delta so i don't know if that would be necessarily something they would add yeah um there's there's a couple of other things that you could spin off from this very easily but uh, i want to talk about bioluminescence being part of this update because of course we've got the glow squid coming from the mob vote and um, the devs already talked about adding the glow squid to cave lakes, but we know that the glow squid isn't going to be a light source um, as far as it goes. So I don't want caves to be bright like daylight, but they have in the original footage at Minecraft Live talked about how they had to brighten up the ores and like actually have the ore blocks glow, uh, which isn't going to be part of the update, but was just a way of lighting the caves naturally so you could see more of the cave structure for the videos. And so presumably they have some sort of lighting solution coming that's going to provide a little bit of natural light to the cave so you can witness the vastness of it without placing a single torch and it just being dark all around you. Um, so I'm wondering if we have stuff like glowworms or fireflies on the way. Um, I think glowworms could add to the ceiling of large caverns and potentially add a bit of risk reward. You kind of have to pillar up to reach them but then you know a skeleton could shoot you off with a bow and then you might fall onto dripstone stalagmites and take more damage so there's a bit of risk reward going on there but obviously if you attach them to the ceiling of like larger caverns then you have lighting for the area without lighting affecting mob spawning on the ground um so that could potentially be a, a an interesting way of implementing them and that led me to think that it would be interesting to see certain mobs spawning because of different cave formations rather than the biomes themselves. So a glowworm in the average, like, fairly linear cave like we're used to right now, where it's, you know, five or six blocks across and just kind of goes down a tunnel, might potentially be, um, like, too much lighting. You know, it's going to guarantee that mobs don't spawn there. But if you have a glowworm that spawns on the roof of a giant cavern, it's a different story. And 
I guess like in the same way that a fishing bobber needs to detect open water around it before it activates that treasure loot table, maybe some mobs like glowworms can only appear if the cave has a large enough space. So mm-hmm. when it's trying to attempt to spawn them, presuming that they are mobs, then or, or, or at least like it, it's generating the blocks themselves, if there is a certain amount of air below it, if it, if it indicates that it's in a large cavern, then it runs a spawning attempt for, for that type of block or mob um and i i think that that has potential to be a cool way of doing it to to separate the idea of mob spawning always being in a specific biome having it be tied to a specific cave formation as well seems kind of cool to me glow in the dark silverfish coming <laughs> no. in 2021 <laughs> what have i done <laughs> my nemesis my nemesis comes back around and becomes uh, becomes I, useful i just like my brain just kind of went oh that would really be cool Ew! Like, <laughs> like <laughs> yes, bunch of absolutely. creepy crawlies on the roof. That'd be like, do they fall on you? Do they drip like lava? Oh my gosh, that, that then, would be. And yeah, then, if, so... if you had glowworms and silverfish and endemite, and they all dropped the way like fish or something does, and then you make yourself like an insect gumbo at the end of it, like oh, there you go, there it is, there yeah. it is. There's, what, there's what the, are... the Legend of Zelda yeah. dubious food comes back into yeah. play. Which is what you have to drink to not make any sound when you're fighting the warden. Like <laughs> right? Yeah. 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 You, you, <laughs> you, glow, you glow like a Christmas tree, but it doesn't matter because the thing's blind. Yeah, um, exactly. You have to walk around with bug guts all over you to, to, to avoid it. Oh, God. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, before we get too far into the horror dimension of Minecraft, uh, anything else that you've, you've been speculating about them adding? So I wanted to try and stay away from like new blocks, even though that's where my brain goes. Um, they've already said that they're not going to add any other ore types behind copper. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where my brain went because I've been watching a fair amount of modern Minecraft, sorry, modded, not modern uh, Minecraft lately. And while it would be nice to see some stuff in the dark grays, because even tough is kind of like that 50%, um, this is a bit of a stretch. But there's one obvious thing about copper to me that I hope Mojang will put into the game, and that's copper piping, tubing, wiring, like something mm-hmm. to that effect. Now, this is a bit of a like a it's it's kind of echoing things that already are done in the game. But pipes could be something to move items or liquid like water and lava, um, larger than a wall but smaller than a full block or a chest. You know, so it, so decoratively it would give you like a different kind of diameter as far as you know a a square block is concerned yeah um the problem of course is that hoppers do this already move items around and water move items already etc um i would think that would be fun though to move things um i mean right now to move items down you just drop them Mm -hmm. uh it would be cool to have a controlled downward thing that isn't like a hopper or a dropper kind of mechanism um so again like that idea it's cool, but then it's already done in the game. So then I, I'm not sure if that would be very likely. However, copper wire, when I got to thinking about this, if this had a very sort of specific redstone function by yeah. not being washed away by water, mm-hmm. right? So imagine if red, if copper wire did pretty much the same thing that redstone wire does, except for you could waterlog it, much like you can waterlog the skulk sensor. Uh, like what trapdoors are waterloggable now. Like there's a lot, a lot of stuff that is. And if that was something that would be resistance to being um, washed away by water, uh, would it be able to carry a redstone signal just like redstone dust does? Would be more effective than redstone, or sorry, more expensive than redstone. So it's not something you're going to be able to really get day one. And if it is, 
then like you're not going to have a lot of copper so it's going to make that expensive redstone contraption worth it like you're going to have to work for it you know yeah um, yeah also one of the things with redstone that's difficult to do is send signals straight up or straight down uh and if you could have that capability with the copper in a range of 15 blocks you know and not have it do anything silly like fences where they attach the size of things and all that kind of nonsense like just have it go straight through the block operate it like a chain in terms of like you know where it appears you know uh, uh, either on the ground or you know vertically down through the middle of the block and if you could move redstone signal in that way um given the limits uh, i think that would be really really cool uh, same with if you could do like a copper repeater that you could then repeat a 15 signal again farther down because like right now as i guess with the ingenuity that goes into them like you have to do slime block towers or you can use observers and water columns but that only goes up really like i i just don't know if the vertical redstone capabilities right now really speak to how long redstone has been around and yeah. skulk sensors have this great ability to help with that but then there's a noise involved and they don't just detect vertically like they're detect detecting in a sphere so to be able to control redstone signals going straight up and straight down with copper wiring i think would be probably one of the benefits to it yeah and, and if not wiring even just the blocks themselves like i've seen a handful of players hoping that copper is going to conduct redstone current in block form and you know you power one block of copper it has a charge of 15 much like redstone dust does and maybe doesn't output any kind of visible sign of that but then the more copper blocks you attach to that the signal degrades and maybe it could even degrade faster so each copper block subtracts two from the signal strength instead of one like right. to, to add a little bit more balance into it um and the more I think about it, the more it's a really great idea, especially with more components like skulk sensors that were just added are waterloggable. Same with minecart rails now, but then getting power to those is a matter of having redstone blocks right there or some other kind of non-breakable um, redstone source, something that doesn't wash away. And I think it is silly to have redstone dust be waterlogged because it's dust. You know, it's the mm -hmm. kind of thing that would very easily wash away if there was any kind of running water current or even still water. It just mix in. Um, so I like the idea of copper being able to conduct redstone current. And also that lends so many options for it for disguising that when you are building a base. Because I think one of the things about having a base that incorporates a lot of redstone contraptions is the amount of building you have to do around it in order to disguise the redstone being there in the first place. And if you have copper, you have both another way of disguising that but also an aesthetic thing that can imply okay there is electricity running through there in the context of a minecraft world so mm -hmm. if you see like copper pipes effectively like you know or, or just full rows of copper blocks going overhead you think oh okay that's like electrical trunking in this build and it kind yeah. of takes on that sim symbolism that you know it it, it immediately signifies to the player okay this person is running copper stuff all over their base they've probably got some redstone stuff hanging around even if you haven't <laughs> so you can kind yeah. of bluff people in that way as well but i think it would really add a lot of value to copper beyond its use as an aesthetic block which i think is already pretty powerful with the amount of weathering options we have but there is potential for it with copper already being kind of you know associated with electricity in the real world to have that extra redstone kick to it and be really really interesting um, yeah i mean take that little knobby thing off the top of the lightning rod 
you know, and that you basically got it, you know, it's, it's, yeah. I mean, that, and, the, the, that kind of thing put sideways or I get Enron would be another example of something similar in shape and size. Yes, totally. But, but even then I'd be fine with it being just like blocks conduct redstone power. Like as, mm. as long as there was something like that, I feel like it could, it could really add a lot of dynamism to redstone builds. They wouldn't have to just be trailing dust everywhere anymore. Um, yeah, that that's that's a really promising one, but again, remains to be seen if they uh, they want to do that. Um, the last thing I've been thinking of, as far as world generation, has kind of been on my mind for the most part, and we've talked about this in the past with local water levels being part of caves. I'm a hundred percent on board with them doing more with that in the overworld in general. Mountain lakes, dynamic rivers, mm-hmm. even if they don't come with this update, I think the potential is there for them to be there especially if terrain generation is being expanded upwards and downwards i i really like the idea of having um mountain lakes and stuff like that and and water that has more of a presence than just being at a flat plane throughout the entire world um likewise this could extend to in future updates because i know they don't plan on really adjusting the nether and the end very much but lava pools in the nether at different heights so it's not just again one lava ocean there are more than just individual lava sources trickling down the sides of nether landscapes there are pools of it kind of similar to how we have like little you know delta of them in a basalt delta right now you end up with maybe more of a lava lake that then drains down into the larger lava ocean at the bottom of the nether and i don't know who knows what happens with that in the end because the end is kind of a unique dimension for that kind of thing but if they plan on updating the landscape of it again could be some options there so local water level is one of those things that i'm still waiting for them to implement so i can see what the potential is for it but i really think it could be leveraged to do some interesting stuff for the surface terrain as well as just the caves yeah, along those lines, I'd like to see rivers improved with with the overworld generation. If that's going to get tweaked, you know, for caves and cliffs, even if it's not a 100% solution, it would be nice to have rivers currently used mostly right now to separate biomes, but like quite often they don't connect or they just kind of flat out stop and it just, it doesn't make any sense. Like they don't even drain into a lake. They just kind of stop. Yeah. And it would be cool if just a little bit more attention was paid to rivers so that they would at least connect into some sort of, you know, system or even if, I mean, even if they kind of looped into another river, you can still kind of like imagine it flowing downhill. Right. Um, But I would love to see like improvements of river generation and improvements of um, like lakes and ponds. Like you said, having waterfalls coming off of these new mountains would be very, very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if it's in like a frozen biome where like the water's flowing, but the water at the bottom is frozen. Like there could be some really neat stuff. Now I say that, and I understand that, you know, part of the Minecraft kind of generation is to encourage the players to like, you should fix this. Like this, this is a pretty good spot for a lake, but if we didn't do a good job, you're encouraged to do your own. Uh, I get that. But there are some times when I walk by things like the current way that ponds generate in a plains biome. Sometimes I'm just like, Minecraft, what were you thinking? Like mm-hmm. it, it completely pulls me out of any kind of immersion. Like you're walking across this sunflower plains that you discovered like, oh, this is really cool. And there's a birch forest over there. And and then there's like 
some weird ice cream scoop sideways taken out of the, you know, there's floating grass blocks and you're just like, I, this does not look at all like what it should. And more often than not, I don't make a better pond. More often than not, I take out a shulker box full of grass and fill it in and be like, yeah. didn't happen. You didn't see mm -hmm. that. I didn't see that. We're going to move on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And useful though they are as like, you know, in, in early game, you're like, okay, infinite, immediate source of water, you know, if you don't have a river nearby, but then you walk 50 blocks in any direction, you can probably see a river. So there's there's not always a need for those kind of things. It's, it's a little bit interesting to start talking about tinkering with terrain generation because I still feel like it feels almost sacred to a lot of players in a way. Mm -hmm. um, I see a lot of people talking very reverently about alpha and beta era terrain. Um, because it generated a certain way, there were more floating islands. It's a little bit more like what you find in a forest hills biome now, where there are more kind of overhangs and outcroppings and stuff that doesn't feel at all natural, but just has that very Minecrafty flavor. And so I wonder if once terrain generation changes again, if we're going to get a few more nostalgia sort of hippies <laughs> trying to <laughs> trying to push on us that the previous terrain generation was better, even after we have expanded depth and all these new cave biomes and stuff it's it's going to be really interesting to see the changes that get brought in there um but if you folks of course have any speculation you want to make about the upcoming caves and cliffs update and now like joel says we have a bit more of a vibe for it uh maybe you've got some ideas springing up that you want to share with us you can email the show and we'd love to read out some of your more more of your emails over the holiday season uh but that's going to be it for this episode of the spawn chunks you can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show is composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud as ever to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, why not consider putting some value back in? You can visit patreon.com slash thespawnchunks to join our community, where pledging at any level gets you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat. You can join our community of 219 patrons, which is another increase from last week. Thank you so much if you've just jumped on board. And our next goal is a monthly minecraft audio hangout where we get to shoot the breeze about what we've been doing in minecraft lately uh with the chat every month uh special thanks go out to our content engineers for supporting this episode that's general pattern 82 greener canuck hunter 555 jumbo sale and yitz thank you so much for your support Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. It's free. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram, but a personal recommendation is by far the best way to share the podcast with friends. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and tell them about The Spawn Chunks and where they can go to listen. Where that might be is iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, really wherever you get your podcasts. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked on thespawnchunks.com. And the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page, and that's where you can listen to the Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast, now in neon blue. My name is Johnny, but online I go by PixelRiffs, and you can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash PixelRiffs, where I attempt to make sense of this crazy and wonderful game in a series called the Minecraft Survival Guide. You'll also see the RTX Minecraft series popping up again over the holidays. I stream three days a week on Twitch, doing behind-the-scenes work for the Survival Guide most of the time, and I'm also the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at PixelRiffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I am up to online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. My other podcast, The Citadel Cafe, is about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment, and you can find that at thecitadelcafe.com. Coming up this week, we're going to be talking about the uh, ream of announcements that Disney Plus 
has, oh, has, has brought, yeah. up to, brought to the table. There is a lot to parse. Uh, so that's going to be really fun. Also going to be kind of like our holiday update episode as well, which is going to be good. Uh, you can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and, of course, on twitch.tv slash Joel Duggan. I'm also going to point you towards YouTube where I really haven't posted anything new in a year, but I figured by saying it here live in the podcast, I will light a fire underneath my butt to post more stuff. The plan is to edit some of the VODs from Twitch and post them over on the YouTube channel. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, but could it be infiniter?